The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. this morning, Mark chapter 1. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're in the study of the book of Mark just for a few more weeks here as we continue on till Easter time. And we're ending out the first part of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And we're going to look at the sermon title of Preaching, Praying, and Popularity, as we'll see three aspects of that today in just a moment. But as you're turning, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we are on page 835 of the Blue Pew Bible. You're welcome to use that uh, if you will or need to. Please feel free to do so. Uh, just a couple quick announcements for you that relate to the pulpit side of things. Uh, next Sunday uh, is, is in the bulletin as well. My uh, best friend, Brian Peters, Reverend Brian Peters, will be in town preaching. Uh, Aaron, you know who that is, of course, from our college days. He'll be sharing Mark 2, 1 through 11, continuing on the series. I hope you'll be blessed by him. Uh, Brian has been around the world as a missionary and as an evangelist and pastor, so uh, just know that he'll be coming next Sunday, and I'll, I will be here. We're not going anywhere, but it's good to be with you all to hear the word. I need that as much as anyone else, so that'll be next week. And Gilbert, I think we're going to sing some psalms next week. Is that correct? Gilbert's been working with Brian on some singing the psalms, uh, P-S-A-L-M-S, psalms, which are also songs, S-N-O-G-S. That's a tongue twister if you say that five million times fast. So we appreciate that. The last thing I'll say too before we get started is uh, we will be on each Sunday night, for many of you have asked about this, our Facebook Live this Sunday night, 830, uh, going through some questions that have been submitted. Uh, the question this week we're looking at tonight at 830 on Facebook is, if God is loving, why is there hell? It's a great question. You say, let's preach on that today, 8.30 tonight. You can listen all you want. And uh, that's been a submitted question from our neighborhood. So you uh, take note of that tonight. Well, I hope you don't have a, a time like this woman, Miss Retha Mayhew, and you'll, you'll see her uh, kind of picture come up here. Uh, but Miss Retha Mayhew had a little run-in with the uh, paint store recently, and I think you'll find this kind of comical. Uh, she was going over the church finances in her neighborhood church, and she ran across a receipt from a paint store that was signed by someone by the name of Christian. And so she wasn't aware of any purchases because everything goes through her in a small church. You know those types of people, right? And she said, well, I'm just going to call the store and see what the mix-up is. So she called the store, asked for the manager, and she, when the manager answered the phone, she explained, she says, I'm sorry, but uh, I, I can help you with this, but I need some more information. Who are you? She said, I'm the church financial secretary. And, and the manager said, great. She said, what's your problem? She said, I'm sorry, but there are no Christians here at First Baptist Church <laughs> at all. <laughs> Oops. Uh, and she promptly realized her mistake, paid the bill, and life went on. So <laughs> hopefully you don't have the same trouble as Retha. But you know, isn't it true that sometimes when we're trying to get information, we get lost in some of that information. We forget where we're going or what we're doing. And I think sometimes we have to advance to the obvious to get to 
the real. And I'm so grateful, aren't you, that when we have those moments in our spiritual life and we say, Lord, who are you? What are you? How did I forget you? That God is so gracious that he marches with us and holds our hand like that manager did, Sweet Retha, through figuring out who paid that paint bill and why it was there. Friends, no matter how confused you may be, no matter how life may throw at you, if you've lost your way, God's plan of redemption always marches on unaffected. Aren't you grateful for that? God is so good to us. I love this psalm that you'll see up on the screen. Psalm 18 and verse 29 says this. It says, For with your help I can advance against the troop, and with my God I can scale a wall. And many of you say, Yes, there's still hope for me in my older years. I can still advance over walls and do those things. Amen. But I think what the psalmist is reminding us of is very much that it doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter what we face. God's grace is always what carries us through the muddiness, the muddleness, if you will, the, the weirdness of life sometimes that we find ourselves in. Because sometimes we need to be reminded that God's kingdom marches forward even when we are like Miss Retha all over the place trying to figure out what in the world we're doing. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you see God advancing in your life, in your family's life, in your spouse's life, in your children's life? Do you see the fruit of the work of the Lord here in our church as we see God working through the details? And, or, or where is God working in this time? Friends, it's a great reminder as we come to a passage of Scripture that's very straightforward. It's so easy to outline as a pastor to preach this. But it's a great reminder for us that God makes no bones about the details, about how his kingdom advances, and it follows to our big idea today. The big idea is simply this, is that there's no missionary strategy or marketing scheme or mailer you can receive that could ever advance this foolish, offensive stumbling block known as the gospel. And then I put up in all caps, but God. Isn't it true in our lives often that we find that we try and do everything else to get through, to see God work, but eventually we have to realize and go back to ourselves and say, but God, but God, but God. Friends, God's strategy to win the big game is to to put in his second string on the field, if you will, and that's us. And our coach, if you will, calls us to trust him as our strength. All the powerful things that the Spirit has done in the history of the world has been done not with any great strategy, but all because of the best strategy. And you know what that is. It's the gospel. Our vision is the gospel. Our strategy is the gospel. And our method is the gospel. So how does this work? Well, we got to ask the big question today. How did God's kingdom advance when there was a lot of turmoil in the early church, even in Jesus' early days? And we'll see that through three things this morning. We'll see that it was through intentional prayer that God's kingdom marched through the muddiness. It was through integrous preaching that Jesus showed forth the kingdom of God. And then finally, we'll see through an intense cleansing. Doesn't that just sound fun? An intense cleansing that God brings this way. If you remember the last couple weeks, we have been through a whirlwind of Jesus's ministry. Jesus has cast out demons. He has healed the sick. He has taught in the synagogue, and that was only one day. And remember, they were bringing people to him left and right, healing them, and he was getting to a point where he had to get away. And so we'll look at that today. But there are three clear things that come out of this text that we see. It is, it's interesting, in fact, that this is sandwiched or bracketed between the the miracles of healing and exorcism, but especially two things that stick out, their prayer and preaching, which many churches have given up on a long time ago, where movies have replaced the power of God on a Sunday morning. 
Friends, we should not pass over this lightly or too quickly. Without both, the advance of the kingdom would have stopped dead in its track. But I believe that these things, if we follow them, are things that God will get us through as we go through the very things that he puts us to. So with that in mind, will you join me in standing this morning if you're able? Uh, We stand in honor of the Lord's word because he's worthy. Uh, But we will be in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And in all the craziness that's going on, We want to see through clarity what Jesus does as he ministers to the world and as he asks, how does the kingdom continue to grow and to continue to advance? Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, that's Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And verse 38, and Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity or perhaps moved with compassion, your scripture may say, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And verse 44 said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest. Offer your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it to spread the news. So Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. When life is messy and life isn't very clear, God gives us three very distinct things we need to see, not just as a church, but in your life, your family's life, and any life that you may impact this week. So let's go before the Lord and pray this morning. Father, what a great joy it is to be here this morning. Father, we know as most churches have been, we have just been hit with a lot of sickness. It's good to see many faces back, but we think of many of our regular folks, Lord, who are just uh, uh, dealing with the flus and the severe colds and things. Thank you for watching over us. But Lord, we pray for your clarity as you lead us this morning. Father, give us uh, just encouragement, challenge, and exhortation from your word. Father, may your words be my words this morning, Father, especially. But corporately, Father, we pray for our church, that the markers we see today would be forever here as long as this church stands. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you may be seated. Thank you. Well, it is one of those things that as we look here, and I I already see I messed up on the first slide. I apologize for that. This should say through intentional prayer, not intentional preaching. But the first thing I want you to look at is the prayer life of Jesus. It's very interesting here that Jesus says here in the very first verse, though he had been up late the nights before, Jesus still woke up early. Now, I want to do, I don't, I don't like, when I'm sitting in the pews, I hate this, but if you'll bear with me for just a second, if you are up before 6 a.m. on any given day, will you raise your hand? Wow, that is most of our congregation. Is anyone up before 5 a.m. on most days? Wow, still a good number of hands. This is probably about the same watch of the night that Jesus was getting up. It's very, very early. Many of you say, man, I wish it was still that time. I have better energy then than I do now, and that's how I am. But Jesus had been out all the day before ministering, and he still gets up early. He does it through intentional prayer. He left Peter's house going to what the Bible describes as a desolate place. 
And these desolate places are often used in Scripture to speak of grounds where Jesus and, and, and Christians especially battle in spiritual battle, if you will, in prayer. Jesus spent time in the wilderness, didn't he, at his temptation. He spent time in the wilderness here at the end of the chapter after the, uh, he healed the leper. So it's a very common thing. But it's a place of restoration for him to get up early and find a space to do it. But it's interesting that there are three prayers of Jesus noted in Mark, and, and this is just a side note. But three prayers in Mark that Jesus makes. First, he makes a prayer here uh, about his ministry being defined in, in Galilee after all the busyness he goes to pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Then in Mark chapter 6, verse 46, it's after feeding the 5,000, Jesus prays. And finally, near the conclusion of the gospel, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what you see with all these prayers that you see Jesus pray, especially written down, and he prayed more than that for sure, but what you see in all these prayers is that the time of intentional prayer came at a critical moment in his life and in his ministry. And the setting for each of these prayers, ironically, is a place of darkness and of solitude. It's very interesting to me. Why would our Lord spend the most time in prayer during the hardest time of his life? You already know the answer to that, don't you? Because that's the time he needed it most, right? That's the time he needed to see it work the most. And our Lord finds strength in the private solitude of prayer and intimate fellowship with his Father. Friends, and I think this is a valuable lesson for us today, as obvious as it is. Your usefulness in the ministry Whatever God has called you to do is directly, directly related to the time you spend on your knees before the Lord. Prayer is something that you cannot just bypass and live the Christian life as. But prayer is often something we neglect. We often say, man, I'm going to pray as I go. Uh, you know, the Bible says there, pray continually, pray at all times. Amen, do that. But often, if you're like me, that's after you go through everything on your smartphone and you figure out exactly when that is. Well, I've got to go here and go there and go there and go there. But I think what is very telling about Jesus' ministry as he was muddling through the messiness of growing this kingdom and seeing through everything as God as he did is that he spent time intentionally in prayer. Now, what I'm about to say, many of you, like we said about the Ten Commandments, are going to get out your notepad and you're going to write this down. And that's a good thing, but please hear the caution before you do that. Having an intentional time of prayer with God is something you should be doing on a regular basis as a Christian. But for many of you, you grew up in households where having a quiet time, you know what that is? Quiet time is a time where you set aside a quiet time, go figure, of time to have time with the Lord. That that was so drilled into you that you have found that it feels like more legalism, like more rule following than it is a relationship with the Lord. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you find a time each day where you can spend time with the Lord, and it is a relationship. But for those of you who have been burned by that in the past, I want to encourage you that it's not a bad thing to take out your calendar, whatever that is, electronic, paper, whatever it is, and schedule a time of prayer for you. My wife and I are trying to do this at home. 5 a.m. is coming early, and bless my wife's heart, she is up a lot more during the night than I am with a two-month-old. Amen? God is still good. But we are trying to find that time of 5 a.m. to get up and pray and study individually, and we, we try and read at night as well. <coughs> Excuse me. But one thing I want you to see here is if our Savior did it, friend, I encourage you to do it as well. Look, I can get up here and blab for 40 minutes, and it has no power whatsoever unless it's prayed over. 
you can talk to your kids all day long, but unless you prayed over the words you are to say, unless you prayed as you go, it really makes no difference whatsoever. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he can work through those things to his will and glory. But have you spent time in prayer this week intentionally? Jesus never told us to make our prayer time a quiet time necessarily. He said it's a time to pour out your soul in rejoicing, repenting, begging, and thanking. Friends, that's the power in your life. The power in our church's life is not having a marketing scheme that gets in every place, everywhere. Look, can we send out flyers, knock on doors, praise the Lord, amen. But the power of our church and of our family starts by praying and it starts on our knees before the Lord. Do you know the least attended thing that happens on a Sunday is the the prayer meeting? And I know we're busy and I know those things, but I would encourage you, many of you who are open on Sunday nights, five o'clock, come here Please don't hear that as a guilt trip. That's not my goal. But I want you to really consider what is preventing you from coming at 5 o'clock on a Sunday night to pray corporately. What is it? Is it because you're afraid to pray out loud? Don't worry. Uh, we bumble through prayers each week, Deb and Richard and myself. We, we don't have the right words to say, but we pray. You come. You pray with us. Or 8.30 on Sunday mornings. You come together. Because guess what happens? When you start making prayer a priority, people start to notice. Look back at verse 36. You see what happened here? And as soon as he went out there, sometime after that, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They send out a search party for Jesus. Where's this guy at? He can't go off and pray. He's got to heal people. He's got to preach to people. He's got to do all this stuff. And apparently, Peter almost says in rebuke, he says, you can just hear his breath, can't you? Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Where you been? What you been up to? You been playing uh, Angry Birds on your smartphone back there, Jesus? What have you been doing? Where are you? And he says, you need to be with the crowds. We're building a following here. Things are beginning to happen. You don't have time to be alone and pray, Jesus. It's time to minister. Oh, how we are so much like Peter, aren't we? There's always an urgent need. There's always an urgent need. Even as a pastor, I feel that. What is my primary duty as your pastor? Gilbert, as your pastor. Matt, as your pastor. It is to study the word of God and to pray. That doesn't mean we don't attend meetings. That doesn't mean we don't visit the sick in the hospital. Those are all things we do, but primarily that's what we're called to do. But how easy it is as a pastor in the 21st century to have a smartphone on and when a message comes across to respond to every message just like you're an answering service, you know, and kind of do those things. It's hard, and you feel that weight too, don't you? You feel that weight in your job. You feel that weight at your home. If you have young kids, you feel that weight with them pulling on you, arguing over each other, whatever it is. But yes, he tells Peter, there will be healings and there will be exorcisms, but there's also a time of prayer. Christian, I would encourage you. You say, Darren, I don't know where to start. How do I start a prayer life? Take five minutes on your calendar. Only five minutes, start somewhere. You don't go run a marathon. I don't know how, it, the biggest losers, even watch that, that show's still on. I don't know how they do that. I've run marathons before, and they run marathons after three months. Have you seen that before on The Biggest Loser? They get out there, and they, like, run marathons. I'm like, man, those guys are going to have heart attacks. Even young guys can't run. You don't go run a marathon in prayer without starting at a base. Friends, take five minutes this week. Schedule it out. Go to a place, you know, uh, find a closet, clear out all the clothes, go to, put a cover over your head like Susanna, um, Susanna Edwards used to do. I shared that before, right? She had 11 kids, and when it got busy and all those kids were yicking and yapping like this, you know what she did? She took her apron and she put it over her head. You know what the kids did? They're quiet, because mom was praying to God, and you don't want to be in that prayer, do you? No, you don't. You find your spot. 
you take your time and just pray, confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be honest with my prayers to you. I want to come before you. And you build on that. There's no magic number of time. But are you praying is the biggest question. If you have questions about that, please see us. We will be glad to answer the best we can. So that's how it went forward was intentional prayer was how the kingdom advanced. Notice, secondly, the kingdom advanced through integrous preaching, integrous preaching. Look back at verses 38 and 39. Almost without hesitation, Jesus comes and Jesus said to them after Peter's search party, everyone's looking for you. And without hesitation, he says to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And so Jesus goes from the very depth of praying to in a very different manner, surprising manner than we expect. He won't return to those who are looking for him. He's not going to go where Peter wants him to go, but rather Jesus is going to go preach to where he knows he needs to preach. And he says, let's move on. Let's go to the next towns. I will preach there. That's why I came. And the crowds at Peter's house, remember last week, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, came for the miracles. Now, apparently they want some more. They call the call in uh, Mark chapter one, verse 15 to repent and believe wasn't enough. But like so many today, these people wanted a Jesus after their own liking, a Jesus who would perform miracles and fit their own agenda and their own plans. And neither the crowds nor the disciples understood why Jesus had come into the world, but he knew. Jesus knew his mission. He, he, he'd come to preach. He'd come to herald. He'd come to proclaim the gospel of salvation that is by him and about him because Jesus is the gospel. And this is how the kingdom advanced in the first century. It's how it's advanced throughout all of history. It's how it will advance today. Prayer and preaching are the one-two punch that cannot be defeated. I don't know, I am a, I'm, a, I'm a product of my generation as you are, no matter what you may say about that. And I remember Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. If you had a Nintendo system, you remember this video game. You don't remember that game. And if you played that game, you knew that Mike Tyson would go boom, boom. And it was a one-two punch and you could never beat him unless you cheated. And all of us cheated when we played him because you couldn't beat the game. And that's how you won. And when I was thinking about this, that goofy game came to my mind. Praise the Lord, it did. And that is how prayer and preaching are. It is like the boom, boom, and it goes down, just like that. God had only one son, and he made him a preacher. He didn't make him an artist. He didn't make him a singing telegram guy. He made him a preacher, is what God's son was. And no pastor is worthy of the name who does not preach the word of God. And no church will prosper without the preaching of the word. No Christian will grow or mature in Christ's likeness without the preaching of the word. So friends, that's why I want to remind you today that great preaching isn't deep intellect. I don't have that. It's not hip style. I'm wearing gray on black today. That's not hip style. It's about the power of validating the gospel of the cross. One of the scariest things as your pastor that you can ever say to me or any pastor is, Pastor, I'm at this church because of you. Say, what's wrong with that? Because, friends, if you're at this church because of me, then you've missed the very point of why God has called you to be part of this church. You are to be part of this church because God's called you to be part of this church if God's led you to this church. You don't follow pastors or personalities. You don't follow whatever it is. You follow the Son of God who preached the very message of God. And that is what God calls us to you're not here because of Gilbert, I pray. You're not here because of Matt, and Matt's not here, so I'm going to talk to him like Clint Eastwood did that one time at the open chair, and there it is. But you know what? You're not here for those reasons, I pray. If you are, check your heart. 
you should be here because God is working here. That's what it's about. That's why we don't try to be flashy or showy and, and do those things because God's power is enough. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the preaching of the gospel is enough to walk into a crowd in the middle of Westport, to use our local example, where I spent many years down there and preached the gospel and someone comes out of their saved because God has ordained that to happen? Do you believe the power to work that way? Or do we have to connive and, and scheme in such a way that if we just soft-pedal the gospel, maybe people will come to know Jesus? Friends, that's not how it works. What you win them to is what you keep them to. If you win them to a soft, likable, huggable Jesus that makes a squeak like a teddy bear when you squeeze him, then that's the Jesus they will have for the rest of their lives. But if you tell them that Jesus loves them, amen, but he's come that they might be saved from his wrath because of their sin against him, they will walk stronger and taller because the word of God has been planted under their feet. And that's what I pray we do here in every aspect, from our nursery with our little babies, and by golly, don't we have a lot of babies, folks. Praise the Lord. And of the gurgles and the spit up and all that stuff that comes, that is a blessing from the Lord. Amen? God is good. But would you pray that like Jesus, that it does not matter if, if you get up here and you read like Jonathan Edwards did, the sinners in the hands of an angry God, and you read down like this with that fake white hair they used to have in the 1700s. It's the most boring, dry, rote sermon, and you are falling asleep. If it preaches the word of God, then we can all say amen. Friends, Robert Murray Machane, the great Scottish preacher, said prayer is more powerful than preaching, and it's prayer that gives preaching all of its power. Strong preaching comes from weak men made strong by the power of Almighty God. Why do I say, how does that apply? You say, Darren, that's great. Uh, yay, amen, rah, rah. But how does that apply to me? If you're a Christian here today, are you more served? Are you listening to the word of God at home? Are you just getting your fill up here once a week? I would encourage you, go home, read, listen to pastors, listen to preachers, listen to the small town guys because they got a lot to say. Go to claybaptist.org or cpba.org. We have amazing preachers in our association. Listen to them. Listen to the word of God being taught. Don't let the Bible just be here on Sunday. Let it follow you wherever you go. But Jesus went out preaching and praying and he did this out of a life of prayer and this is how the kingdom of God marches on and grows. Friends, this doesn't mean that we won't try and contextualize our, our, our message. We do that every Sunday night. We get on Facebook Live. We try and reach. We, and I'll say this publicly because he, he made it public in a sense. We, we've got a, a, a neighbor in our, in our neighborhood, a Muslim man who found us on Facebook who wants to know more about Christ. He wants to know more about Jesus. Is Jesus God's son or is he just a prophet? Because of an outreach, we're not going to not do outreach, but let's keep the focus, the gospel, and all that we do. Parents, as you raise your kids, and, and we're learning this battle too, is the gospel the center in all you do? I'm probably the worst example of that at home and everywhere else. God help me. But isn't it a great reminder? I, and I love this illustration. I've used it a couple times in the sermons here the last couple of years, but I love this illustration. Five young college students were going to London back in the 1880s, and I love this. And they went to hear the famous Charles Spurgeon preach. And if you know me, you know I love Spurgeon. You'll see this big old boiler room. This is his boiler room coming up here back in uh, the great Metropolitan Tabernacle over in England. And they went. They wanted to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. And you say, who's Spurgeon? Go to the Midwestern Seminary. There's a great library there. You can, you can get the, all the tour. One of the most famous preachers of our day, probably of all time. And he had this great big thing. And these five college students were in town in London one day, and they said, you know, let's go, let's go hear him speak. And when they got to the door, a, a man was there, and he said, he said, gentlemen, would you like to see where the heating comes from in this building? 
looking at each other and not wanting to be rude, they said, okay, that sounds great. And they weren't particularly interested for it was a hot day. It was July. Who would want to see the boiler room in the middle of Who wants to see a boiler room anyway? But who wants to see it in the middle of July? But they went anyway, not to offend the stranger. They went down a stairway, and a door was quietly open, and there the guide whispered, this is our heating plant. But surprisingly, the students saw over 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing of service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. And softly closing the door, those five college students realized that they were speaking to none other than the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon himself. What were they doing down there? Were they down there to clean up the dust and clean up all the rust from all the boilers? Not at all. They were there because they had come to realize that without prayer, that their church, their preaching of the church of the word of God would fail. They called it the boiler room. And Spurgeon, in his time, steam was the source of power and boiler rooms were the powerhouses and and they were the driving forces, but they weren't pleasant places to visit. They were functionally dirty. They were hot. They were often tucked away in the basement. But like Spurgeon, these men understood after that that the prayers of his people were like heat rising up to the church's ministry. Friends, each week as you come, are you praying? Are you asking your heart, Lord, is my heart prepared for the message I am to receive today? Lord, would you use the preaching of the word today, the teaching of it in Sunday school and small groups that we have throughout the week, would you use that to shape the life of people here today? Friends, our church, we can come up with the greatest strategies, but if we lose prayer and if we lose the preaching and teaching of God's word, then we have lost everything that comes with that. Prayer occupies a higher place in anything and preaching as well. And that leads us to our final point as we close out today. How does the church advance? It advances through intentional prayer. Are you praying each day for your church? It goes through the word of God. Are you intaking the word of God? The last thing I want you to see, and this is the big part of it, is this all led up to the very fact of Jesus healing a leper. Look back at verse 40, if you will. We'll close with this, verse 40. And Jesus cleanses a leper. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, make me clean. And moved with compassion or pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately, there's that key word of Mark, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you may say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof of uh, for a proof to them. Now, as Jesus is ministering, he's, he's praying, he went to preach, but always when you are doing those things in ministry, there comes a need, and that's a good thing. Jesus met a leper, an outcast, a man who is deemed by the law to be, to be an untouchable. Uh, my, my wife's sitting in the back. Many of you know in India that uh, uh, they have a class of system called the untouchables. You're familiar with that, the caste system. And there you cannot touch them for fear of spreading disease. Very, very familiar. Yeah, if those of you who grew up in the 80s, this would be like the AIDS scares that happened in the early 80s. If you remember that, I was not born during that time. There you go. You can laugh at my age later, I know. But in the early 80s when the AIDS scare first came out, Uh, More recently, was it Ebola? Was that the one, Ebola, that came across a couple years ago? All those things were far better than being a leper of the first century, as crazy as those things were. This encounter is startling, it's provocative, and perhaps even very offensive. 
it's clearly what the reaction would have been in that day. You see, a leper was to stay 50 paces from the nearest person. That's a, that, that's a I mean, I have pretty small feet, but that's still even a, a, quite a distance. That's like from me to almost halfway to the sanctuary. And if they came near to Jesus so close they could touch him, to do that was unthinkable. I mean, it's like, I, I can't even think of the context today. It's like walking up to the the president of the United States, no matter your views and all that stuff, whoever's in the office, and just going up to him and giving him a big bear and say, hey, Mr. President, how you doing? You know, how's it going? If you, you say, no one would do that. It's the president. Well, this is kind of how it was. He came up to him, this leper, and said, Jesus, will you heal me? And leprosy was a wide-known disease during that time, and there was a lot of superstition about it, and... Um, the word itself can cover many diseases. In fact, uh, we might today call it Hansen's disease. Uh, but in Leviticus 13, I, I think I looked this up, there are 22 different skin diseases listed that the priest had to tell. But it was usually disregarded as something that could be healed, this leprosy. Uh, it's just one of those things that you dealt with as life. It was a social stigma. It was everything else as a stigma. You dealt with it. But they were mocked and shunned. It was like walking with a living death. Uh, Josephus, the great historian, called it this way. He said, in no way is it different than walking with a corpse. Other illnesses could be healed, but this had to be healed and cleansed. That's why this is an incredible thing. Friends, this makes it remarkable that the leper came to Jesus. He had seen the power. He'd heard about the exorcisms. He'd heard about all this ministry going on, and he violated every convention. He violated every custom of the day, and he was desperate, and he believed only Jesus could heal him and make him clean. That's why I want to leave you this question. As you'll see up there, Amy will throw it up there for us. Friends, this strikes me very hard because how can we reflect in God's delight and diversity, if we are not communicating with those who are not like us. Notice Jesus didn't come to him and say, oh, you're a leper, get away from me, get out of here. He comes to him and he embraces him, he, he welcomes him. And friend, I pray that's how our church is. I pray if you're visiting with us that you feel absolutely welcome here, you're so glad you're here, but that you don't walk out of here not changed, that God by his spirit welcomes you and brings you in. Friend, I pray that our church is open to every ethnicity. I pray that our church is open to every type of person who may come in. Say, Darren, they're not like us. Does it matter? We pray that by God's grace, if someone is not a Christian, they would come to know Christ. We pray that there are different uh, socioeconomic class, skin color, educational, whatever it is, the body of Christ is not homogenous. The body of Christ is quite diverse. The body of Christ knows people from lepers to the most successful people who never seem to get sick. The body of Christ is so diverse that Christ himself died for everyone of every race, of every color, of every type, of every stripe. And I am grateful for that. Because friends, if God only died for a certain ethnicity, then most of us in this room would not be here because we will all be considered Gentiles. But God loves that old thing that we, my, my daughter, we sing to her every night or try to, red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. And that's so true. And this leper is no exception. He comes to him and he says, heal me. And Jesus makes known that he's not just going to speak to the elite. He's not just going to speak to these. But he, he, he came and he shows us that diversity in the body of Christ is something that Christ embraced. Yes, there is a standard for sin. Yes, there are certain biblical things we follow. But at the same time, the church is open to all under the preaching of God's word and the prayer. But notice what this leper does. He came... 
He implored, he pleaded, he knelt, and he spoke. He said, if you will. Wow. If you will. If you will. Wow. He knew Jesus was able. He knew it. He believed it. He came to him and said, Jesus, I know you can heal me. You say, I don't see that in there. It's in there. Friends, if you will, that's not a, it's yes, you can do this. Jesus, heal me. The issue is not could he, but Jesus, would you? The man comes to Jesus with great courage, with great humility and great faith, the same way we as six sinners must come to him outside of Jesus Christ. He came believing in the only one that could save him, could change his life. And notice what Jesus does here, friends. He, he, he's moved with pity, with great compassion. He stretches out his hand. He touches him and he says, I will. And he makes him clean. Friend, as we asked you last week, do you believe that God can do that in your prayer life? Have your prayers been so tamed, domesticated by how you see God that you forget that this is the God that can say, let it be so, and it happens. That is our God. God, we want to see Grace Moore come to know Jesus Christ. God, we want to see Maple Park. Am I getting my directions right here? Local people, Maple Park, and then Clay Como. I've gotten this right after two years. I hope so. But we pray that God would save this neighborhood as we go door to door, as we reach out through our events, as we do this on a Sunday morning, as we do all that we do. God, save this neighborhood. Friends, this neighborhood is so lost. I, you know, I, I, I saved a picture on my phone the other day um, of, and I won't tell you the exact street or exact area, but I have a picture on my phone here. I showed it to Judy and, and a couple, I showed it to Matt, I think. But it's, it's literally of a string of um, drug paraphernalia from one block all the way up the next. And we were walking this block. It's not like someone just went and do 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 I mean, each house on this block almost was covered by drug paraphernalia. Look, we're not in a war just to fight drugs. We are in a spiritual battle that says that Jesus is Lord, and he has already claimed every square inch of this neighborhood and every square inch of this world, and he is absolutely in control, but we have to be the ones to faithfully share it. Friends, has your prayer life... Are your prayers this big? God, I don't know if you can do this. Or are you like this leper who said, if you're able, and God said, yeah, I'm able. I'm absolutely able to do this. And the touch of Jesus speaks more loudly than any words ever could. His words, they must have thrilled the man's soul. I would, but this Lord Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease. When he touches him, he heals him right there. But notice verses 43 and 44. He says, And immediately the leper left, was made clean, and Jesus sternly charged him not to tell anyone. It's not surprising Jesus sends the man to the priest. That's what you were called to do. But the surprise here again, as we looked at last time, is the quick exit of Jesus and the demands of the cleansed leper. He sends him packing with a command to be quiet. And what does the man do? What's your Bible say? He tells everybody, He can't keep his mouth shut. Are you kidding me, Jesus? I can't. Jesus desires uh, that he, does, he doesn't want persons to seek after miracles. He wants followers who seek after him. Do you see that difference? He doesn't want people who are always tempted by the sensational. Look, I can get up here and try and be um, America's Got Talent for you each week, but my talents only last you about 30 seconds, all right? And that's not going to get you very far. Jesus desires followers who long for truth and him. He doesn't want people to come to him to get what they want. He wants people to come to him to get him. Does that make sense? Friends, if you are seeking Jesus for anything other than just him, you've got the wrong Jesus. Because let me tell you, that him, Jesus, is enough. 
My, my old friend Jesus has been more than enough in my life. I don't know about yours. He is enough. But we can understand his enthusiasm. We can, however, justify his disregard of the Lord's commands. He went out and he talked freely. He talked about it. But, you know, but once again, Jesus was led back to a desolate place. After all this energy, after all the prayer, after all the preaching, after all this thing, verse 45, as we close, says he went out and began to talk freely. And then Jesus could no longer openly go, but was out in the desolate places. Jesus and the leper traded places in a sense. The leper is now on the inside with his family and friends, and Jesus, in contrast, is now on the outside, lonely and desperate. Friends, that's a picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. It was a place of substitution, and it is the way Jesus came. He took on himself our sin, our sorrow, and our shame, and in return, he gave us his forgiveness, his holiness, his righteousness, and praise the Lord. What an exchange that is. I don't know if this picture summarizes how many of your families are or were when you were growing up. But when David, uh, you know what, I'll end it right there. I'll actually, I'm going to skip that, Amy, because I'm going to go a different direction. But you know what, friends, this is how many of us feel when it comes to knowing about Jesus. We feel like, uh, we just feel like sometimes the stories of the Bible are not real life. Did this really happen to someone? Does God still heal today? Is God still interested in my life? Yes, yes, and yes. Friends, he is. He's still very interested in your life. But as you follow him, as you grow, as you advance the kingdom of God, there are times when God is going to send you through the cycle that you just solved in this day of Jesus. You will pray, you will share God's word in some way, and then you will go back to the desolate places for the blessing of other people. Are you willing to humble yourself this week in prayer, in sharing the gospel, in whatever God calls you to, if that means someone else would know about Christ? That's the prayer I have for our church, and we're doing that, guys. We are. But I pray as long as we have breath that this church is not known for anything else except just being faithful in those basic things God calls us to. How easily churches slip out of this mode that the prayer and the teaching and preaching and the simply asking God for the big things is enough. Friends, I don't know about you. We we don't have a TV. I've said that like every week for the last 20 weeks, right? Amen. I don't know. Were there any good Super Bowl commercials this year? Anybody? One? There was one. I think the one at the end. Hyundai did a good, uh, I saw a good Arms Forces commercial at the end, if, you're, if you know that. Look, each year, the advertisers, the marketers try and outdo each other with how best they can get. I think it's up to like $5 million, maybe more dollars for a 30-second spot in the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? $5 million? That's a lot of money. They're trying to get your attention, and they try different things. If I had to say a frog, you probably remember a certain uh, commercial from the Super Bowl many years gone by. See, I don't have to, you're already smiling. You know what I'm talking about. If I say a horse, you know what I'm talking about. You know these things. Friends, as a church, we do not have to keep up with the Wall Street executives who try and win your attention on Super Bowl Sunday. Our God is bigger than all those things. His gospel is more glorious than all those things, and his message is grander than all those things. Let's not sacrifice anything that this church may have to keep up with the Joneses. Does that mean we don't market again? No. Does that mean we don't outreach? No. Does that mean no? But let's keep the proper things in the proper places. Jesus did, and it transformed his society. Let's close as we pray. Father, I thank you so much. Father, I thank you that the power of the gospel is power not just to salvation, but total life transformation. 
Father, I know there's always different ways to do ministry. Father, I acknowledge that, but I also pray that through everything, that every church, every, every person, everything that we do and as Christians would be focused on the gospel. Father, let us not soft-pedal Jesus, but let's, let us not come with a big club either. Father, you love the world that you gave your son. Father, you are a God of much grace and much mercy. Father, help us to find balance in all those things. Father, let our church be known as a praying church, Lord. Let us not be known for programs or events, although you will use those for your glories. We advance your kingdom, but Lord, let our church be known as a church that prays, as a church that teaches and shares unashamedly your message. And Father, let us be a church that, that has in the, the, the belief, the power that you can do great things that you did like to that leper. But Father, even if you don't, that doesn't change who you are. You are still faithful and good as you say you are. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for each of the faithful men and women in this, this room and, and those in the nursery right now, Mark and Becky helping in children's church. Father, you're using this church, not because of us, but all because of you. Father, we are jars of clay, as 2 Corinthians says, that can be smashed and molded any different way so that it might be seen that it was your power and not ours that did the work. Father, that's our prayer this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join us?